Hey, hey, Cubs fans, and welcome to a brand new episode of Cubs on Tap. I am your co-host for the evening, Ron Luce. I am joined by a familiar voice and a guest tonight. We got we got it all tonight. Uh, but first, I want to get to uh, our buddy Nick Hudson. Nick, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great, man. I'm happy to be here. Glad to talk some Cubs baseball. Absolutely, and here to talk Cubs baseball with us is our guest. Um, I'll tell you what. Cubs fans, you probably know him, though, from the Blackhawks arena. Uh, so not only is he the owner and managing editor of CommittedIndians.com, he's also a, com- a columnist, excuse me, uh, and Chicago correspondent for TheFourthPeriod.com, and he is also the author of the book 100 Things Blackhawks Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, ladies and gentlemen, Tab Bamford. Tab, how you doing tonight? Oh, I'm terrific. It's good to be with you guys. Hey, we are absolutely thrilled to have you on. Um, Those of you that are loyal to the ONTAP family as listeners, you may have heard Tab on uh, Four Feathers with Tony and Johnny. Unfortunately, I was not able to make that episode. Um, So this is my first time, Tab, getting to talk to you. Nick's first time as well. Um, Yo, but we could talk some Cubs baseball, uh, you know, change things up a little bit. Obviously, uh, it's well documented uh, how well or not so well, however you want to describe it, the Hawks are doing this year. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about a team with some some good aspirations, and uh, kind of that breath of fresh air. Now that means warm weather's coming, you know, ballpark franks and beers at the ballpark, all that good stuff. Um, but first, Tab, we we really love always to to get our you know our guests of thoughts and opinions, uh, as well as new panelists. Anytime we bring somebody on, uh, you know, just kind of how you became a Cubs fan and where your Cubs fandom really started. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those stories that you hear a million times, especially around specifically the Chicago Cubs. And that is, I grew up in the Burbs, and uh, whether it was my mom or my grandma, in the basement listening to Harry uh, call the games on WGN. And just fell in love with watching the games, whether it was before I started going to school, watching them at lunchtime in the afternoon, or... You know, getting home, hurrying home from school to watch the guys finish a game off. Uh, just fell in love with watching it. And then when you go to Wrigley Field as a kid, you know, I grew up in the 80s. There just, there was nothing like it. And uh, I think a lot of it was just that a- accessibility of being able to watch games all the time on WGN um, that made the Cubs a national brand. Um, which of course is, I'm sure something we'll chat about a little bit later, the ability to watch games, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a family thing. It's been passed down from two generations before me. No, that's awesome. And that's absolutely something I can relate to. I was, uh, I was born and raised in a Cubs family. Uh, Nick, I know you're, you know, your Cubs fandom, you have a lot of family members that are White Sox fans, including, you know, our very <laughs> own uh, Mr. Tony Marchese. But, um, yep. you know, yeah, I mean, it's I totally, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. The classic house divided uh, scenario in Chicago. But yep. no, that's 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 awesome. Well, I, you know, I will say this, though. I, I, yeah. I grew up in a house that we went to both games on both sides of town. Mm-hmm. And I was never like a hardcore anti-White Sox guy. I've always cheered for both. Um, I do think it's possible to cheer for both. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I, I, I've spent most of my life enjoying good baseball, which means as a 40-year-old now, uh, I've been depressed for most of my baseball fan life. Yeah. No, I, 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 we understand that. And I, you know, Nick, I, I don't know how you can relate, but I, I was the same way, you know, growing up diehard Cubs fan. I've probably gone to more White Sox games though than I have Cubs games, um, you know, growing up in, in, I grew up in the South Burbs. I still live in the South Burbs. So I'm the, uh, I'm one of those unicorns that, you know, grew up on the South side, but became a Cubs fan. So I, uh, totally agree though. You know, it's, it's definitely something that I can relate to as well, Tab, just, that never really having a true hate for the Sox. It's just, you know, you just grew up loving the Cubs more, and, you know, that's that's kind of where the, the allegiance lies then from there. Um, you know, but speaking of, you know, baseball, obviously baseball, full swing now, thankfully. I am I'm so ready for baseball and warm weather. Um, you know, but spring training, uh, this, you know, has, has been well underway. Um, you know, there's there's been one Cubs game that the general public has been able to watch, uh, and that was uh, yesterday's. We're recording this two days ago when most of you will be listening to this on ESPN. Uh, but most of the games currently have been blacked out. So you know, Tab, just from you know what you've been able to to catch up on so far and, and maybe see or you know read about or what have you. You know, what are, are some of your kind of preliminary thoughts so far on spring training for the Cubs? I mean, it, 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 uh, most people ask, um, and you know, I, I've I've covered baseball full time for the last three years, and most people ask me, like right out of the gate, is David Ross going to work as the manager of the Cubs? And uh, my immediate response was that I was going to withhold any kind of judgment at all until I saw how he filled out his his coaching staff, um, because I I think any manager. Uh, is only as good as the the folks around him that are in many ways running the ship day to day, uh, you know, inning to inning, drill to drill versus the actual manager who uh, does some things, but not everything. I think people give managers a lot more credit than they probably truthfully earn in major league baseball. Um, And I think David Ross did a good job of putting together a pretty good coaching staff and I've been impressed with how he's been able to keep kind of the older brother familiarity with the guys that he won the World Series with four years ago, but has really come in and changed the, the culture and the vibe. Um, and, and you've heard a lot of the players, whether it be Chris Bryant or Javier Baez, talk about the fact that they just kind of needed somebody to slap them on the wrist and say, all right, we got to work. We got to show up. We got to, everybody's got to be here three hours earlier than you have been. It's not 90 minutes before the game. Talk to the media and maybe get in the cage for 10 minutes. And uh, so I've been impressed with that. And, And I think just the other reality here for the Cubs is they didn't do anything really, but, Milwaukee didn't do anything. St. Louis got worse. Um, so realistically, if the Cubs can stay healthy, they should compete in this division. Yeah, absolutely. No, and that's a that's a great point. I mean, that's always – I think that was, for a lot of us, going into spring training was something we were intrigued to see was the raw signing. And, I, you know, I'm on that side uh, with – I was on that kind of that side with the players was, you know, when, when he was initially hired, I said, look – um, 
I feel like a broken record, and Nick's heard me talk about this a couple times too, but uh, I read his book that he brought out, uh, Teammate, you know, very shortly after they'd won the World Series, and he went on his little bit of yeah. a, you know, dare I say victory parade as, you know, Grandpa Rossi, and, you know, there's a lot of stories in that book, um, you know, whether it's he saying them or, you know, secondhand from other players, about him just being that kind of that accountability voice in the locker room in that 2016 team. You know, that really kind of nicely counterbalanced the the laissez-faire attitude of Joe Madden at the time. And obviously the young team and he was the savvy vet. And it, of course, it was the perfect storm. I mean, everybody, you know, has admitted that Bryant said it, you know, I think Javi Bias has even said it as well. So, you know, it, it is really kind of refreshing to see him come in. And it, because I agree, you know, this this attitude that this team now has, even though they didn't do anything, has really just it's been really refreshing as a fan. Like I'm actually excited about Cubs baseball going into the, to spring training, Nick, and and you can, you know, let me know how you felt about this too. Like I know I had zero excitement initially going in. I was like, yeah, we'll see. And then like they reported and, you know, Bryant had his press conference and Baez had his comments and, you know, and all of a sudden I was just like, Oh, I was like, I'm kind of excited about this team now all of a sudden, you know, and Nick, did you share in that sentiment as well? Yeah, you know, I was uh, a little disappointed with the offseason that they had. Uh, as Tab mentioned, they really did not do much. And neither did the other teams uh, in our division, minus the Reds. But going into it, like you said, before those interviews, I had a lot of question marks on the players and what they were feeling towards the team. And I think the interviews kind of really got us to see the passion that they still had. And uh, it's been nice to see... For uh, most of our viewers that heard one, the last episode I did, I, I do get uh, Marquee Network off of the MLB TV, so I, I have been able to see all the games, and it's been nice to see the dugout camaraderie. It looks like they are excited to be there, and it's only, I mean, they are well underway in spring training, but it is still pretty early, so it's great to see. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people forget that, like, one of the best comps for david ross doing what he's doing that no one will talk about because their personalities are so vastly different at least publicly but joe girardi went from being a catcher for the yankees to managing a lot of guys that he played with for a long time and he was really successful in new york yeah and so if david ross can be in chicago what joe girardi was with the yankees I feel pretty good that Cubs fans will be pretty stinking happy about David Ross being their manager. But again, you know, you've got Girardi who's gives off an old school hardline vibe. Um, kind of, he is more times than not kind of stuck his nose up at analytics. He's more of a, give me a binder and a gut feel guy um, where David Ross, you know, is, is a little bit more of a, smiling, joking around. We saw that on the ESPN broadcast, you know, willing to, you know, bust chops and cut it up a little bit during the game. Um, so I, I, I think because their personalities are so different, a lot of people won't think about that. But again, like if you look around the game and so many really good managers were journeyman backup, occasional starter, starting catchers, mm-hmm. There's plenty of precedent for Rossi to be great, so I, I, I I'll be fascinated to see how that works out, especially early in the year when inevitably stuff doesn't go right. 
Yeah, you, Tab, you uh, you literally stole the words right out of my mouth about the the backup catchers and or just catchers in general really becoming great managers in in the major leagues. You know, it's it, they really kind of are in a lot of ways the quarterback on the field. Um, you know, for baseball and they're you know calling a game and uh, I know there's some catchers that you know will call shifts and you know because they do the most research they you know they're the ones scouting the other team the hardest because it's okay how are we going to throw to this guy how are we going to throw to this guy you know this guy likes you know breaking ball away so we're going to throw him in you know this that and the other and it'll, it'll be really intriguing to see how that kind of carries over to the to the field and like you said kind of playing that field general I love that comp though of Joel Girardi I don't think that's agreed on the difference in personality but from just the like you said kind of that pedigree and situation and just you know how they were you know hope you know potentially how they're able to transition from the the role of player to the role of manager um it's going to be an interesting one to 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 watch for sure well and replacing an iconic manager too i mean girardi was the guy that was tapped with replacing joe torrey and people thought torrey would never be replaced in new york um and so you had and so when you replace you know one of the one of the greats in many people's eyes for an iconic franchise who did so much for the team with a guy who played under the manager with a bunch of the guys on the team. I think that's where, again, the parallels for David Ross replacing uh, Joe Madden, who so many people love in Chicago, people around the game hold in such high regard. Um, And then, so you got a guy coming in who's going to manage guys that, he went to battle with, you know, three, four years ago, um, replacing an iconic manager. I think that there's just, there's a lot of overlap with what Girardi did in New York. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Tim, I'd like to get your opinion on the center field battle. Although it's pretty early right now, Almora has had a really good day. And now today, Ian Happ has had a really good day. They've been looking better than last year so far. What's your opinion on that? Um, I think if either one of them can hit their body weight, it'll be a huge plus. <laughs> um, I, I, and look, I mean, I think Ian Happ, obviously being mostly a middle infielder coming up, then parking him in the minors for most of last year, uh, and then never really committing to a position for the kid really did nothing to help him. And so this year with them saying, look, we got Kipnis, we've got Descalso, Nico's going to get some run at second base. You're a center fielder now, Ian Happ. So you, you, you bring one glove to the ballpark every day and you focus on one defensive position. That's it. And I think you're starting to see him get more comfortable. And that's a huge thing. People don't realize that Baseball players at the major league level are such ridiculous creatures of habit and comfort. And so whenever you start messing with where young guys hit in the lineup, if they're playing different positions, that stuff can mess with a lot of different things. I think Albert Almora, I think a lot of people thought, you know, he's going to replace Dexter Fowler. Maybe he'll bat leadoff. And then he ends up batting seventh, and then he ends up playing once a month. Um, so I think it, it could be a really good platoon. They're both great athletes. They're both good defensively, which is big because Schwarber really isn't still. 
Um, so I think, you know, if, if they can continue to hit, the Cubs have a really nice situation. If one of them keeps hitting, that's probably even better because then you can lock in on one guy and let him roll for, you know, hopefully 120 games. But if those two guys end up platooning in center all year, I'm, I'm happy with it because they're both, again, good defensively, good athletes, and if they hit, you know, somebody's got to hit seventh or eighth. So uh, I think they'd be, they would both benefit from a deep Cubs batting order and them being able to hopefully drive in some runs and clean up some garbage at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. I, I, th- I thought it was interesting what you said about the creature of habit because I always thought that I would have liked to see either Elmore or Hap just in center field for a long period of time last year. And I was always talking about that on Cubs on Tap. I just wanted to see if they could get comfortable. And watching Ian Hap lately, it, it does look like he's a little bit more comfortable. At His at-bats are a lot better. He's taking a lot more pitches that he wouldn't have taken last year. And I think that that's a huge point to bring up is the creature of habit. Yeah, I think it, a lot of it is just finding professional sports. If you get to that level more times than not, if you get a taste, you're good enough. It's about staying good enough and staying on point. And so much of it is about finding a comfort zone and staying in that comfort zone. I think for Ian Happ, if they tell me he's a center fielder every day, it'll go a huge way in helping him to really be able to just settle in and do what he does best. Cause he's always put up good numbers. So just let him let him stick in one position for a year and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Tab, kind of building off of that, do you think? Obviously, like you said, if you know one of them can get hot in center field, even better. If both are playing well and they can platoon, that's great too. But do you think that Ian Happ being a switch hitter provides that additional upside to? You know, him maybe being the the more likely choice, maybe like you said, kind of getting the guy that's more likely to get the, you know, the 100 to 120 games rather than the guy that's going to be the second platoon guy just because of the the matchup abilities with him versus a guy like Almora who, you know, has never really hit one side better than the other and truthfully up to this point really has never hit. Um, so do you think that switch hitting is going to give Hap that advantage, especially like you said, you know, now that he's kind of comfortable being an everyday center fielder, knowing that's his role? Yeah, I mean, I, certainly the fact that he can turn around and bat from the other side when, you know, they make a, a bullpen move or you've got a lefty on the mound instead of a righty um, from a starting perspective, certainly that's going to give him more opportunities. Um but the reality at the end of the day is you're only good if you hit. And if he comes out and hits, you know, 150 left-handed, then realistically you've only got two right-handed hitting center fielders. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think realistically this front office has really liked a lot about Albert Almora for a, a long time. And they've liked Ian Happ and a lot of his game and his athleticism for a long time. And so now you've got a situation where the two of them are going to compete for a job. And one of them is probably going to end up earning more of the playing time. 
And frankly, I think that's going to be the hardest thing that David Ross has to figure out early is, especially if both of them are going, which one do I ride for how long? And when does the other one get a chance in the lineup? Because I think Almora is a guy who would benefit from more consistent at bats, which begs the question, you know, how frequently does Ian Happ get run? Maybe, you know, get, get late inning defensive work in a corner outfield spot. Does he get, does he sub in for Schwarber in a double switch scenario at some point late in innings to get better defense in left field, something like that. But, um, but that's going to be the, I think the biggest thing that Ross is going to have to figure out is, you know, how, how long do you ride the hot hand? And how do you make sure that the other guy doesn't fall off because he's stapled to the bench for too long? Makes sense. No, uh, all great points there. And and kind of piggybacking off that too, I mean, you hear so much in in tons of sports, but especially in baseball, if you're good up the middle, you're usually a good ball club. So center field, um, shortstop, we all know who the, the, the opening day shortstop is. It's without a doubt Javier Baez. But who do you think is... Who do you think they're going to, A, give the, the first opportunity to to be the everyday second baseman? And who do you ultimately think runs away with it out of the guys that are currently kind of in the discussion for it right now? So Descalso, Horner, um, Kipnis, uh, and so on. Um, I mean, I, I, I think if he hits, I think Kipnis sticks. Um, I think he brings a, you know, a, a power bat option at second base. Um, another left-handed bat that balances the lineup a little bit more. Um, and a guy who's got pretty good experience. I mean, people forget because he's fallen off the last couple of years that he was pretty good for Cleveland back in 16 and 17. So um, he was a big part of that World Series run for them when they ultimately lost to the Cubs. So, um, you know, I... I, I, I want to say Kipnis is going to win it, but if he decides to fall off at all, I do think Nico's a guy who is just going to sit there and somebody's going to have to force them to put him in the minors because the boy can hit. And he's obviously the future at second base. The question is, when do they move to the future? And the other thing you have to keep in mind is, you know, Theo's comments today about if the Cubs are kind of sort of competitive, they might still sell a little bit at the deadline because there's still 2 million over the luxury tax and they want to get under it. Um, you know, having some versatility might be something they need if they decide to move a few people. Um, I don't think Nico's going anywhere, but a guy like Kipnis who's played some outfield as well is a guy who gives you a little bit of flexibility. And if the Cubs need to get creative to make $2 million disappear, having some guys that have experience and are dirt cheap, you know, Kipnis is on a minor league deal still right now. Um, you know, guys who come cheap with good experience are incredibly important to teams like the Cubs, Red Sox, Yankees that are trying to figure out how to get under the luxury tax or not be too far over it. Um, in the case of the Yankees, they don't really care, but they're just trying to get healthy bodies at this point. But, you know, a team like the Cubs, you know, having a Jason Kipnis who has some versatility, 
has some pop and hits left-handed for, you know, a veteran's minimum deal is pretty important because they're, they're trying to basically put a scrap heap of minimum deals on the bench so that they're not spending too much money. And so um, if I was going to gamble my next paycheck, I would say uh, Kipnis gets the majority of the at-bats, but Nico is on the roster full-time by August 1st. Okay. On tap, I thought it was interesting what you said about how the Cubs have acquired these veteran players that come cheap and have experience. Uh, one of those guys actually kind of came up in the media was Souza, Steven Souza Jr., because he did say he feels 100% after his injury and that he would want to play full-time. What's your opinion on that? Do you think he he's anywhere near a full-time position for the Cubs? Uh, full-time for the Cubs, no. Um, and the reason that I say that is Jason Hayward and Kyle Schwarber. I don't think Sousa can give you run in center field at this point in his career. So I think he's a guy that's going to come in and be a uh, potentially valuable option, much like Kipnis, um, who can play either corner or outfield spot if he's healthy. Uh, and, you know, not too long ago, uh, had pretty good offensive numbers. If he can stay healthy, he could be a pretty good option. I, I think he's, an, he's a guy who, in a lot of ways, like Kipnis, but more so with Souza because they have, you know, a couple young center fielders and Hap could theoretically give you some run in the corner if needed. Um, I see Souza really more as a lottery ticket. Um, if he shows up and does much of anything, it's a huge win for the organization. And he's the kind of guy that, that if he can show that he's back to being a 2025 20, homer bat, who's making the league minimum, there will be teams lining up for that kind of a bat. I mean, people talk about how the White Sox are taking a really good bet on Nomar Mazzara because he makes $4 million to hit 25 home runs. Well, Steven Souza is not going to make $4 million, and he's got the kind of potential to hit 20, 25 home runs if he's healthy. So, you know, teams that are desperately trying to scrap together a competent offense and have not been able to, you know, win much in free agency, but are looking to add some pieces to make themselves interesting. And I'm thinking like the Texas Rangers, for example, you know, he's a guy that could ultimately bring the Cubs, maybe a prospect or two back. Um, but no, like from a regular at bats perspective, as long as Hayward and Schwarber play in the corners, the overwhelming majority of the time, He's just he, his best case scenario is maybe 250 plate appearances with the Cubs, but his trade value could ultimately be the win. Yeah, that's right. that's a that's a great point, and yeah, I mean, like you said, Tab. I mean, uh, you know, and that is a great question, Nick, because you know, 2017 he was a 30 home run, 78 RBI guy for the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, playing mm-hmm. you know a ton of time split between that right field position and obviously the DH, which you know. If if the NL had that DH, you know, maybe he has seen more than those 250 at-bats, like you said, Tab. Um, but, yeah, that's actually a really great way to think about it. I, I never even thought about Sousa becoming a potentially a trade chip, and uh, that might even just be from the, the standpoint of, you know, he was such a, a small acquisition in terms of dollars that, you know, maybe they're not going to use him enough to where he really gets a fair look. But, you know, maybe an injury happens to a guy like Jason Hayward, and all of a sudden, 
you know, he can be your everyday right fielder for a short period of time. And then, you know, to, to further, uh, you know, kind of back your point there, Tab, then maybe he does become that kind of guy that can turn around. You know, maybe this is the type of reclamation project that Theo, you know, was doing during the rebuild where you brought in, he brought in guys like Paul Mahalam and, you know, uh, Scott Feldman and all of them and was able to flip them for assets that ultimately helped this team in the long term. Um, so no, that's, that's, that's an interesting point. Well, and, and, and let's also like, just keep it real here. There are some young pitchers who are trying to win that fifth starter spot. And there are teams that are starting to have pitchers fall apart at the seams that are all of a sudden trying to figure out how they're going to put together a full rotation. Thinking specifically about the Yankees and Red Sox. We're trying to figure out how they're going to fill out a five man rotation. And if you can throw a veteran with some potential in there, like a Souza, um, that might make Tyler Chatwood's contract a little bit more palatable. Um, and like you said, when, when Theo was burning the thing down, bringing in veterans to, with the intention of flipping them, mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it's a dirty business from a lifestyle perspective for the veteran. But if you go into it with your eyes open, you know that, that could be, you know, having those types of players around for cheap, the cost basis to the other side of the equation, you know, if you're the Yankees or the Red Sox and you can get a corner outfielder and a fifth starter for $11.5 million, that's a lot easier to stomach than Tyler Chatwood for $10 million by himself. Um, even though I, I do think Chatwood will ultimately win the fifth starter spot here, but when you start looking at how they could possibly package some of these things to get under the luxury tax without affecting the core way too much, um, you know, it'll be that, that I think that's where guys like a Kipnis and a Souza will ultimately have the biggest impact beyond the 2020 season for the Chicago Cubs is if they can win a spot and they can perform, uh, they could ultimately be trade bait that could bring back some prospects at the deadline. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all great points. And yeah, I mean, that is interesting too, because you know, I feel like really the only, I mean, there's a lot of big contracts, obviously Hayward's is, uh, dare I say, almost immovable at this point. And, you know, Darvish, if, if the Cubs are getting second half Darvish from last season, you know, his 21 million continues to look like one of the better pitching contracts in all of baseball, especially given, you know, what guys like Garrett Cole and Strasburg signed just this past offseason. Um, but really that other kind of quote-unquote albatross contract right now still in the books is Tyler Chatwood, and that's, a, you know, exactly a great point that you bring up because, you know, just today the Red Sox um, announced that Chris Sale, you know, has to have his, his elbow looked at and has an MRI scheduled. So, you know, maybe they're a team that all of a sudden, like you said, becomes really interested in a, a veteran pitcher and, you know, maybe throwing in that veteran bat, especially after losing a guy like Mookie Betts, maybe all of a sudden that looks you know, plausible where they can have a guy come in and, and potentially platoon in right field with a, a guy like, um, you know, Verdugo, who they acquired in the L.A. deal or somebody else potentially from within that organization. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a great scenario for a young guy like Verdugo, who you know, young Mexican-American kid who is coming up as, you know, the the next great Dodger young player um, who ends up going to Boston in this deal and replacing Mookie Betts. I mean, that's a ton of pressure for a kid. 
Um, and so if, if he's able to split, you know, even if he's only given 35% of the at-bats to a guy like Souza, that takes a ton of pressure off the kid to have to do it every day. Um, and you don't have to, you don't sit him every time he gets booed and have it destroy his confidence. You just structure it in a way that he knows that he's only going to play four or five times a week. And, and you're going to have a veteran that's going to take some of the load off uh, and help him out in that regard. And so, yeah, I mean, I think Boston's a team that I, I, I think obviously feels familiar with uh, ownership. Uh, most of the rest of the pieces have changed, uh, and they're still waiting to figure out if anybody else is going to have to change because the commissioner's office likes to take their sweet freaking time to hand out punishments. But um, – but obviously, Theo knows Heim Bloom from Heim being in Tampa. Uh, and so I, I, I do think that, especially with Heim Bloom having been in Tampa for 15 years, he undoubtedly remembers what Steven Souza's got and what he can do. So um, I think that there, there, there could be some interest there. Um, really don't hope for uh, players that make as much of an impact on the game like a Chris Sale to miss any kind of extended time because the game's just better when he's out there dominating. But if Boston does need a healthy arm and they are looking for an affordable platooner, that might be something that they would entertain. Um, and I think that the Cubs could do well to shed the money. Got to get under that luxury tax folks. <laughs> Not a salary cap. It's a luxury tax. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Definitely. Well, I think it's safe to say that we're all big Cubs fans. And what was your guys' like opinions with this marquee network? My first thing was I wanted to figure out how I could watch the Cubs. Immediately I went to MLB TV because I knew I wouldn't be blacked out. But I didn't even think about going through the hoops that I read about to get this marquee network. What Have you guys been disappointed with it? Uh, I have not uh, been able to partake yet. Uh, I am an Xfinity customer, mm. um, which means I am not watching any of it. Mm. Um, uh, I'm excited for a network that is exclusively focused on Chicago Cubs baseball, but um, I still hope that they are able to figure something out with Comcast and get it into more households because I think you know, as I said about kind of how I became a fan and how so many people around the country became fans of the Cubs, uh, I think it's a damn shame if, you know, the majority of Chicago households can't somehow watch the Cubs this year. Um, and I think that this is an important year for the Cubs because, like I said, you know, if they're going to make some critical decisions about the long-term future with guys like Baez and Bryant, um, you want to have people paying attention, you want to have people invested, and you want to have people spending their money on the product. Um, and to take games away from the public uh, and lose, you know, possibly a generation of kids being able to watch it, um, I think is a huge misstep. But these are the business negotiations that people who make a lot of money try to figure out and we can complain about. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think, you know, with the way that the Blackhawks and Bulls are complete tire fires at the moment, um, you know, I think that there, there's so much hope in Chicago 
for baseball. Uh, and I, I think that one of the reasons that the Cubs not being more accessible is frustrating is there's uh, so much hype around the White Sox. Um, and I think that the Cubs are opening the door for the White Sox to have a surge in young fans because if, I mean, look, if you're part of the whatever it is, 40% of Chicago that's got Xfinity, if you're going to watch it, if the only game you can watch is the White Sox, this isn't like a, a terrible White Sox team to watch. Like you're not the, running the risk of like comparing Todd Frazier to Chris Bryant at third base. You know, you're looking at Luis Robert and Yon Mancata and Nick Madrigal and Yasmani Grandal. You've got some really good young players on the south side who are exciting to watch. And so the Cubs are kind of, I mean, they're, they're playing roulette right now with, they're, they're placing their bets on the Cubs being the Cubs and we're still the alpha in Chicago. But if kids are able to watch a White Sox team and that White Sox team earns their dollars by being exciting and competing, you know, the Cubs could, could hurt their market share pretty significantly by not letting people watch this young still young core group of world series champions play together while they're still together. Um, because if this, you know, as much as it kills me to say, but if this is one of, if not the last year that you've got this world series winning core group together, it'd be a damn shame if nobody could watch it because they couldn't figure out a way to get it in everybody's household. Yeah. I agree fully with with you there, Tab, especially because I am also an Xfinity customer. So, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, this is, you know, 40% of the Chicago market. And, it, yeah, it really would be an absolute shame if they're not able to get – because this is, like you said, this is still a very good team. You know, this is a team that can absolutely still compete for this division in, in the NL Central. And they have all the pieces to be, you know, still a fun product to watch and kind of the renewed, you know, renewed hope with David Ross's manager and this new attitude and everything like that. And, you know, and from what I've been seeing on, you know, Twitter, Marquee Sports Network has a lot of great kind of additional coverage, you know, Cubs 360 and, you know, they have all these great names they brought on to be analysts as a part of the network, you know, Mark DeRosa, Ryan Dempster, Lou Pinella, you know, and the list goes on, you know, but most of the the, the market can't even enjoy that. And I agree with you. I think that's going to potentially open the door for, for the White Sox to really gain a young following because that those games are going to be on in every household in Chicago when, you know, there's a very good possibility that, you know, when opening day rolls around on March 26th, 40% plus uh, of the Chicago market might not even be able to watch the Cubs games. So uh, unless they're on, you know, ESPN and that's about the extent of it. So, um, you know, completely. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm for the White Sox because they're just hitting it right now. They push their chips in. They had a great off season by most people's estimations. They've got some really exciting young players coming in. I can tell you, Luis Roberts is going to be the freaking truth. Eloy Jimenez is not blowing smoke and pumping tires when he says that this kid could be the Latino Mike Trout. I mean, it, he has the kind of skill set to be a Ronald Acuna-type player for the White Sox. And if that's the, the only game that a lot of kids can watch in town, if you're the Cubs and you're screwing around with the salary cap or – you know, trying to get under the luxury tax threshold and talking about trading Chris Bryant and 
you know, trying to figure out if you can compete or not, that's a pretty hefty reality to deal with here. You, you're you're going to have half of the city not able to watch your games, and you're letting the business side of the game overwhelm what you can and can't pursue on the field uh, from a personnel perspective, while the other side of town is going to be available. And all those households, and they're young, and they're exciting, and they went out and spent a whole bunch of money this winter. It's a perfect storm for the White Sox. And honestly, like I said, I, I never cheered against them. Uh, I'm a fan of good baseball. I hope the White Sox take advantage of it. I think it would be great for the city to have competitive teams on both sides of town. And I think that the young guys that the White Sox have put together are absolutely tremendous. But, you know, the, the Cubs are really, really, really looking that gift horse of young, great personality, good-looking young guys that play the game the right way, that have fun doing it, that are passionate, that won a championship together. They're really looking that gift horse in the mouth right now by allowing the White Sox to creep into their bedroom by just not having a deal done with Xfinity. And I, I think that the longer the Cubs wait to figure out a way to get at least 85% of the households in Chicago to be able to watch their games, uh, I think that they're running a huge risk uh, because the White Sox really seem like they've got their act together and they're willing to go after it. And let's not also sugarcoat that NBC Sportsnet has one baseball team to care about now, and they're going to push all their chips in, and they're, they've got some really talented folks making good content themselves, and they're not going to waste a whole lot of time on the Cubs because they don't get to show much of their games anymore. They're going to have to pay for highlights like everybody else. So if you're it, so you're going to have an RSN that's going to push all their chips in on the White Sox that everybody gets, that everybody goes to to watch, whether it's the Hawks or the Bulls or now only the White Sox uh, because the Cubs have got their own thing. The, the creature of habit sports consumer in Chicago is going to go to NBC Sports and, that, and they're going to get overwhelmed with White Sox content because that's the team that they can show us. So um, I think that there's a, there's a lot of underlying reasons for the Cubs to get a little bit more serious about getting marquee on Xfinity um, and really trying to figure out a way to get more households watching that great network, because I've got no doubt that they're going to do great stuff. I mean, I practically cried when they brought Mark Grace home. Um, I'm a Gracie guy, but, uh, but not being able to watch Mark Grace talk baseball kind of kicks me in the butt. So um, they need to figure that out. Yeah, agree wholeheartedly. And uh, Tab, just one quick question before we let you go for the night. It's it's a pretty simple one. Uh, where do you foresee this Cubs team finishing in the the NL Central standings this year? Uh, you know, Fangraphs uh, I think had them winning the division with eighty five wins. Um, I'm with Fangraphs. I think that the Cubs win the division, but I think they're closer to 90, 90, 90 to ninety two wins. I'll put the over under at 91 and a half. Uh, I do think you're going to get a full year of what you got in the second half from you, Darvish. I think he's a dark horse Cy Young candidate in the National League. I think Chris Bryant has a huge year leading off. I think the fact that Rizzo and Bryant are going to bat in the top of the order makes Javier Baez an MVP candidate in the National League because he's chasing money and he's going to hit behind those guys and have a lot of opportunity to drive in runs. Um, and I just I, I, I think the Cubs have got the pedigree to win a division where the Reds are coming 
and they're coming hard, but I still don't think that they're quite there yet. Um, and I think the Cardinals and Brewers are killing themselves. I mean, good for the Brewers for getting Christian Yelich for apparently $215 million for nine years. Feels like highway robbery for a guy who's got that skill set. Um, but, I mean, if you want to live in Milwaukee for the next decade, God bless. Um, <laughs> you can go hang out with Aaron Rodgers and make State Farm commercials for all I care. Um, but neither one of those, the, the Cardinals and Brewers are um, not, not pushing the Cubs to have to spend money to stay competitive in the division. And so I think that the Cubs benefit from their inactivity uh, pretty significantly. So I'm going to say Cubs win the division. I'm going to put the over-under at 91.5 wins for the Cubs this year. I love it. That's all great insight. We we greatly appreciate you coming on, Ted. But uh, listening to you talk about baseball, I was just – I caught myself a couple times just sitting there just enjoying it and just kind of, you know, almost like a lullaby of baseball uh, as you were, you know – sharing your your thoughts and your knowledge with us so uh thank you so much again to you tab we really really appreciate it uh hope you're you know a full 100 percent over the the flu here sooner than later and um we'd love to have you back on at some point in the season if you'd be open to it absolutely anytime uh look forward to it and hopefully i've got a more 100 percent voice ready to go next time with chat uh that sounds like a plan tab well thank you again from uh from us so much for joining us and uh We'll talk to you very soon. Sounds good. Have a good one, gentlemen. You too. Bye-bye. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Tab Bamford. You can find him all over the place uh, if you don't know where to find him. He is on Twitter at V1Tab. Uh, You can also find him on LinkedIn, Tab Bamford. And then, like we said, uh, CommittedIndians.com. He's the owner and managing editor He's a columnist with the Chicago as the Chicago's correspondent for TheFourthPeriod.com. So you can find some of his work over there, obviously hockey-related. Um, and then he is the author of 100 Things Blackhawks Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. So uh, certainly read that. That is uh, The book is also forwarded by Jeremy Roenick. So, um, you know, it is no joke. Tab was absolutely awesome. And, and Nick, you know, just before... Just as we finished up with Tab and before we jumped on back, you know, into this ourselves, you know, you had some thoughts that, you know, I, I know we were both excited, but I want you to share, you know, something that you enjoyed about that, that discussion with Tab. I really liked how optimistic he was at the end. It made me really excited for this season. I mean, I've been excited overall with the spring training. Like I said, I've been watching it a lot. Today I watched the full game. The ending wasn't great, but it's spring training. What are you going to do? Love to see Ian Happ have some great at-bats. Uh, I'm excited. And the fact that he's saying you, we're going to get a full year of you, Darvish, of second half last year, that is beautiful. That is music to my ears. What he says about Javier Baez makes a lot of sense. I mean, you have Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo at the top. That does give Javi a lot of opportunities for RBIs, for lots of great things to be happening. I mean, I'm excited for this. Season. There's a couple really big things that I, I want to see what happens with. Like, I want to see how Jason Kipnis is throughout the regular season. I want to see if he returns back to the old Cleveland self that he once was. Um, I'd love to see how Horner's going to do this year. Uh, I am looking forward, as he said, to seeing Cap hopefully in a role where he's the center fielder. That's our guy. He's just out there. I always thought Hap should have it. Uh, I've never really given up on Almora because I've always loved the kid. 
Uh, hopefully he does good this year. I mean, there's a lot of great things to be excited about. I think he brought up a lot of those things. So uh, I love Tab. That was awesome. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I just love listening to you know, his baseball insight about a lot of things. And, uh, you know, he brought up a lot of really good points and just, you know, the the a lot of things too that you even you and I have discussed. You know, I think especially with you know the David yep. Ross discussion, um, you know, as well as you know, I agree with you. I think you know Javi Baez, you know, w- when this team lacked the leadoff hitter really since Dexter Fowler left, you saw a lot of guys' production dip, and not mm-hmm. astronomically. You know, Anthony Rizzo was still very much a, you know, for the most part last year being a little bit of an asterisk, but. You know, a thirty home, you know, thirty hundred guy. Um, you know, Bryant obviously battled some injuries, but you know, he regained his his pop, and you know, he was still driving runs in. But when he was in that two hole and not nobody was producing for him, you know, in the one hole, and that bled down the lineup. Ultimately, guys yeah. like Baez and guys that and Contreras who it did, yep. you know, they rely on that to to produce runs as well. So. You know what he said with you know Bryant being a you know a possibly great leadoff hitter, and Rizzo being right behind him. You know all of a sudden buys in that three hole, he's gonna have a lot of RBI opportunities with those two because especially with Chris Bryant's base running op- you know his ability to run the bases, he's arguably one of the best in the league. I think he's very underrated uh, in that essence. You know if if he's gonna be able to get on, and a double scores him from first. You know, it's one nothing Cubs in the first inning every single game. And that's huge. You yep. know what I mean? So It is. That's just, big time. Yeah, just that ability. And, and obviously I would love to see Javi, you know, rejoin the ranks of being an MVP candidate again like he was in 2017 yep. when Yelich ultimately won it, as he mentioned with the contract discussions too. Um, yeah, Yelich is ridiculously good. Ridiculously good. Always and they're getting them at a ridiculously good number too. They are. Uh, they're getting them at a ridiculous price. And that's who Christian Yelich is as a person, though. True. I think uh, he's not going to be your greedy type of guy where he wants every type of penny. He just wants to help an organization win. Yeah, that's who he is. I've seen a lot of interviews with him. As much as oh, that guy kills me when we play him, he's a great guy, and uh, I'm happy for him. Yeah, and it's interesting too. I mean, you know, like especially if he's he's found a place he's comfortable, he enjoys playing. You know, why yeah, not take does. the the guaranteed money and uh, you know stay why somewhere not? that you've you've found a bit. Live out your home. career in Milwaukee. Exactly, exactly. It, right? There, there are certainly worse places in the United States you can live than Milwaukee. But uh, if you gave <laughs> me the pick between Milwaukee and Chicago, I'm taking Chicago ten times out of ten. So yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Ultimately, great discussion. So you know, once again, we want to reiterate: thank you so much to Tad Bamford for coming on with us. Uh, we're definitely going to ensure that we get him on at some point uh, throughout the season. Maybe we'll we'll target like in late April, early May, when we actually have some substantial sample size of baseball to discuss. Um, something that we want to implement. And this is something for our listeners. If you are familiar with the ONTAP franchise as a whole. Uh, you would see that our friends over on the south side, our Socks on Tap guys, like to do uh, kind of a Sunday fun day type episode. Uh, I think we're going to try to implement that as well. Um, that'll be more of the guest-centric episodes, having people on like Tab and, and friend of the show Dom Frederick, which also, big shout-out to Dom Frederick and uh, you know his um, his campaign in uh, with, with Kyle Schwarber for Kyle Schwarber's charity. Uh, they raised uh, over $7,000. Uh, of merchandise for 
uh, Kyle Schwartz's charity. So huge shout out to friend of the show, Dom Frederick. Uh, I know I bought some merchandise. I'm excited to when it comes. Um, I bought a polo shirt, so I have something to wear to work. And uh, always be repping our, our friend, the director of morale. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll get those type of people on throughout the season. Obviously, we'll do our best uh, to get some more prospects on. If you've listened to our show before, you've heard Cole Roeder. Um, you know, he's got plenty of teammates and guys he's been with in spring training. He said that we're good good guys to at least reach out to. So we're going to be uh, kind of in the process of that, aligning things up. Uh, and we're also hoping to have a couple more guests on, uh, at least one, maybe two, uh, before opening day on March 26th. Before I get to any more housekeeping items, Nick, uh, you got any quick final thoughts for us on this evening? You know, I do. I was thinking about it, and I wanted to mention before we even started this episode, in my head I was thinking about it today, I wanted to say that I think that I'm going to make a pretty bold prediction. I think Wilson oh. Contreras, if he stays healthy, is going to have the best year of his career. Wow. The way he is in spring training right now, he has cleaned up so much with his stance He's not flying open on any of the pitches. He moves with the ball. He's been looking great. Every time I watch him, and I've seen him plenty, he's just taking the ball where it's pitched, real easy pass at it, a lot of power still. I'm excited to see what he has to offer this year. I really am. He's been working on framing. I watched this whole thing they were talking about about this. Yeah, he's just been framing this winter. So I'm, I'm excited. I really am to see what he has to do, and I wanted to mention that today. So. No, I, I love it. Hey, like I said, if there's anybody right now in the in the Cubs on Tap family uh, that's seen more spring training baseball, it's certainly you uh, and your advantageous ability to be in Arizona right now for school. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna no, I'll take your word for it, man. I mean, from what I've seen of him and what I've heard, you know, through interviews and different things like that, he sounds ready, and it, it never hurts as a catcher when you know your manager is a former catcher and a guy that you were teammates yeah. with. And, and I'm sure he looked oh, yeah. at him as, you know, a role model in a lot of ways. So, um, yes. and a mentor. So I, I'm intrigued. I'm excited too. I agree. I think if Willie stays healthy, that's always the key, right? You know, 20, the 2017, he was the hottest player in baseball before he got hurt and then missed a month, right? Yep. Even last year, he showed spurts of that too, until he, you know, ended up missing some time, uh, which is when we ultimately saw the emergence of Victor Caratini. But, um, yes, and yeah. Caratini's another really good guy. I've seen him on the split squad a couple times, and mm-hmm. he still puts up some good numbers during the game. I think he's seen the ball well. Uh, I think his downfall is the slider. He struggles just like Baez with that slider running away from the plate. Yeah, when he bats righty, because he's a switch hitter, isn't he? Yes. He is. Yep. No, yeah. he's a switch hitter. When he yeah, bats righty, yeah, he can't he can't hit the tail or lay off the tailing away slider in the dirt. Just looks too appetizing to him. I've seen him many times. But that's the only downfall of him. He puts together great at-bats. He gets a fastball. He usually can rope it out through right through center field. So, I don't know. I'm excited. Yeah, a lot of good things to yeah. look forward to. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to add any more to that from a Cubs perspective. However, uh, as kind of a quick closing thought, I do want to remind all of our great listeners uh, to check out all of our Cubs work over at www.ontapsportsnet.com, home of the ONTAP Sports Network, which is the presenting sponsor of this podcast here, Cubs on Tap. Uh, you can, it is the number one destination for all of your literature and podcasting needs, wants, and desires about your favorite Chicago sports teams. Obviously, Cubs, you're listening to some of that great coverage right now. We also have great Bulls and Blackhawks coverage as those seasons are still underway. Uh, approaching pretty much the last month and change 
uh, in both of those seasons, as it also looks like both of those teams unfortunately won't be making the playoffs. However, we do have plenty of off-season coverage for those teams as well. Bears off-season, it's about to get real interesting for the Bears, so be, yep, be in the it. loop with our Bears on tap, guys, oh. as NHL, or excuse me, NFL free agency, not NHL, um, will be opening up here shortly. And yes, Cubs fans, let's be honest. We all have friends. I have friends that are White Sox fans. Nick's cousin's a White Sox fan. Go ahead and direct them over to our Sox on tap, Shy Sox Weekly Clan, uh, as I think we have some of the best White Sox coverage in all of the Chicagoland area. So you can find us once again at www.ontapsportsnet.com. You can also find us on social media. That is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ONTAP Sports Net. The ONTAP Sports Network. Go ahead and check out what's on tap in Chicago sports. Whew, it's always a mouthful, but that's a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks once again to Tab Bamford uh, for co-hosting and, and being a panelist with us this evening. To my co-host, Nick Hudson. Thank you, sir. As always, always a pleasure. I'm looking forward. Great time, man. Looking forward. Uh, you know, plenty of Cubs on Tap episodes, and obviously once you get home, uh, plenty of live uh, content from the ballpark uh, this summer uh, with you and all the other Cubs on Tap guys. So be sure, listeners, to be looking out for that. Uh, we'll have plenty of Cubs live content, uh, whether that's from opening day. I know myself, I'll be there. I believe Juice, the Juice Man himself, will be there as well. Uh, and there may or may not be one or two other people from Cubs on Tap there. Uh, we're doing some schedule shuffling right now, as that is a Monday, uh, to get out to Wrigley Field. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Nick, let's get out of here the only way we know how to, my man. Let's go, Cubbies. Let's go, Cubbies. Cubbies.